You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. So as we uh, kicked off last week looking at uh, our mission statement, we started with really uh, the most important thing, right? Uh, which is to, thank you, uh, which is to uh, glorify God, to love God. You got to start there, right? You want to start with the, the most important thing first. And that is without a doubt the most important thing. We're going to be looking at two passages of scripture today, one from Matthew chapter 22, and then another, a very famous passage of the Good Samaritan in uh, Luke chapter 10. And these passages help us look at the second topic that we'll see uh, as our mission statement, which is to love our neighbors. You know, so many years back, and the details of this event are fuzzy and disputed. Uh, There's a saying that goes, you don't want to let uh, facts get in the way of a good story. Uh, But uh, many years ago, uh, some friends of mine, uh, all young adults at the time, we we decided we're going to go on a camping trip. That's a good thing for uh, a bunch of folks to do. And so we loaded up all of our gear. And so we got all the supplies we needed. We got all the the food. We got uh, all the stuff that was required to go on this camping trip. And there was a bunch of us. And we divided up the tasks and the items and things like that. And so we take off. We head out of town. Uh, We go out to this uh, uh, woods area, this this campground area. And we start to uh, set things up. And we're looking forward. We're having a lot of fun, goofing off, doing those things as well. And it gets to the time where we're like, well, it's going to get dark soon. We need to uh, put our our camp together. We need to put our our tents together. And so uh, as we did, uh, I learned uh, an important lesson, uh, which is if you're going to go camping, what's the most important thing you do? Well, you get to wherever you're going camping, right? What's the second most important thing you do? You bring a tent. Um, So that's a very important part of this process. And if you neglect to do the second thing right, that's going to significantly affect doing the first thing right. You understand? And so as we look today at the second most important thing, as quoted by Jesus that we'll see in a moment, the second most important thing is to love our neighbors. Yes, we went camping. We got the first thing right. The second thing we missed. And it totally affected the way we experienced what we were going to be doing. Uh, That night, I had more mosquito bites than I've ever had in my entire life. We slept under the stars. It was great. Um, uh, So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40. And I want to start uh, by reading there. It says, but when the Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So the, the, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus, who was talking to the Sadducees, had kind of an, answered all their questions and done so uh, in, in a way that just amazed them. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to him. All right, I need to stop here for a moment. This guy is a lawyer and a Pharisee. That's a guaranteed way not to have very many friends, okay? Like, I don't know if you've done personality tests. Our staff did one of those recently. If you're a lawyer and a Pharisee, that's a very particular type of person, okay? If there are any in here, God loves you as well. 
we do uh, as well. Uh, but you can tell right away the personality of this person, if that makes sense, right? You can, and, and he only came to Jesus when he heard that uh, all the other questions had been answered. So he had something in him that said, ooh, I can, I'm going to go stump him. I'm going to go get him with my question. And so he takes off to ask Jesus uh, his lawyer Pharisee question. It says, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And so this lawyer Pharisee came uh, to Jesus and, and basically said, what is the most important thing in the Bible? That's what he said. Uh, if you look back to uh, understanding uh, the Jewish uh, uh, containment of all that they saw as scripture, the law was, was asking, when you look at it, what is the most important? And said, so what is the most important thing in the law? And so that meant the, the Bible, their Bible. And uh, it, it, it was a very specific question with a very specific answer. There's really only one answer to this. It was a trap. Uh, so he's setting a trap. And uh, let's read Jesus' response in verse 37. And he, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, or I'm sorry, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So if I were to ask you, what is the most important thing in the Bible? You probably get it right. We talked about it last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and you would be correct. And Jesus very quickly responded to that. Uh, if you think about what is the most important thing, it is that we understand to glorify God, to, to love God. Pastor Eric talked about that at length last week. And we must start and get that right. You have to get that right. What good is a tent if you don't go camping, right? Like you have to get the first thing right and put it in its right place. Uh, and so Jesus quoted the most famous verse in the law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. They say, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is called the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house of your gate. So in, in Jewish culture and tradition, this would be like quoting John 3.16 to Christians today. It would be that um, obvious, uh, maybe the most well-known passage in the New Testament to say John 3, 16. That would be like quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. They knew it. They had had it memorized. They said it twice a day, okay? So when he quotes that back to him, it's, it's like uh, obvious. It's love the Lord your God. Uh, so if you think uh, about the... Uh, you know, the response of the lawyer to ask this question. He's, he's kind of hoping that Jesus responds with the right, because he, otherwise he wants to trap him. 
what he's trying to get him to do is to say that it's not to love your Lord God, but it is to see Jesus as God, right? And, and see him as that person. So he's trying to trap him, but you're not going to get ahead of Jesus on this. Uh, he, he says, you know, the Father and I are one. Uh, when I say, uh, my, my goal is to glorify the Father. You know, so, so this response is to say, Jesus already knows the answer and how to respond to it perfectly. There's nothing else that Jesus could have answered with. So the second most important thing, you know, when you get to Jesus and, and you start asking him questions, uh, he's going to give you more than you asked, okay? When you start asking questions, he's going to take you a little bit further. Uh, and so you know the first, I will tell you the second, love your neighbor. Uh, and if you can show on the slide, I think you've got Matthew uh, 22, 40 and Galatians 5, 14. And, and this idea is that you will see that the, all of scripture is summed up in these two verses. Uh, you see, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And, and then from verse 14 out of Galatians 5, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. So this uh, idea says, can you summarize the whole Bible in one or two lines? All of the law of the prophets exist in these two lines. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. That's the, like, hey, give me the big overview of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, regardless. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Everything is summed up in these two quick lines. So Jesus takes him a little bit further than maybe he wanted to. Well, I think that presents a very natural question. And I think the, uh, the lawyer Pharisee uh, was right to do this. He says, well, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, it, we're going to pick this story up in Luke chapter 10. Uh, there's not a lot of information to know whether this is the same exact lawyer, Pharisee, but there's three accounts uh, in the New Testament, in, in, in the Gospels, that kind of tell either the same story or a continuation of the same story or maybe a series of conversations. And so it's, it's somewhat fair to say this is the same uh, you know, idea that's being continued on. And so if you would now flip over to Luke chapter 17 as this question comes up, well, who is my neighbor? So if I'm supposed to love the Lord, my God, if I'm supposed to uh, love the neighbor, now the question is, who is my neighbor? Uh, and it's perfectly answered by Jesus here, starting in verse 25. Maybe one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, maybe only second to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, uh, we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You know, same, same attitude, same mindset. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to trap him. I'm going to trick him here. Get him to, to, to maybe step over his words a bit. Uh, you know, again, with the, the lawyer-Pharisee combo. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law and how you read it? Now, you see what happened here? The first time, Jesus answered. Jesus answered and told him what the answer was. The second here, and that's what makes me think it's kind of a series of conversations that maybe happened over a period of time. He says, uh, what 
is written in the law. How do you read it? So he puts it back on to the Pharisee to respond uh, to this religious leader to respond to the answer. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and, with, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he added on the love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that, that's what makes me think this was a continuation because that wasn't written in, in the Shema. That wasn't written in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I think there's a continuation here of the first conversation. Like I heard you say this before, love your neighbor as yourself. I actually included here, this here. And he said to this, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, you see here that the lawyer is thinking in technical terms. What do I got to do to check the box? What do I got to do to get in? What do I got to do to satisfy the law? You hear that? What works do I have to do to get into heaven? You see, this is a works-based gospel mentality. What do I have to do? And Jesus, he's not going to have any of that, right? Because he's going to ultimately show us the picture that it is his work. It is his work through the cross. It is his work through the resurrection that complete that eternal life question. How do I receive eternal life? That comes only through Jesus' work on the cross, through the grace of God. And he says, but desiring to justify himself. You hear that? Who is my neighbor? So it's a fair question. I, I, don't, I think it's a natural progression of questions, right? What's the first? What's the second? Well, okay, the second is love your neighbor. Okay, well, who's my neighbor? I think there's a, a natural fair progression to this. It says, who is my neighbor? That way, well, how many, how, how many do I need? Do I need like one, two, three, three, three neighbors? Okay, can I hand pick them? Can I pick who my neighbor is? Can they, can they be people that I like already? I'll love them. Or maybe they can be, uh, you know, someone that looks exactly like me, sounds exactly, same age as me, same uh, skin tone as me. I can pick someone exactly like me and I can go love them. Maybe, maybe they got exactly the same amount of, uh, of money that I have because I don't really want to get uh, too up or down in dealing with that. How do, how, I can go pick my neighbors. Give me the two that I need. I'll check the box. That way I get eternal life. That, you hear that lawyer kind of, let me figure out the loophole. Let me figure out the technicality. Let me, let me satisfy whatever it takes to check that box. Uh, maybe I can handpick this, this neighbor thing. Um, I... I know there's a desire in all of us that we want uh, to know with specific. What do I got to do? And Jesus, time after time after time, says it's all about your heart. It's all about your heart, and it's all about understanding the work that Jesus has already done. Uh, so if we look back uh, to this question of who is my neighbor, um, you know, it's, you know, the only thing that's worse than asking when Jesus asks you a question is if he goes to start now telling you a story, okay? When Jesus starts telling you a story or a parable, you know you're going to get it even, like you're going down even, even harder after this, right? And, and so Jesus replied with this story. A man 
was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is interesting. This is a long road traveling uh, that's going on, which is interesting. That goes back to the, the Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you walk along the road, Jesus very intentionally wove this in. So as he's walking along the road, doing exactly what the Shema uh, said to do, and uh, there was a man, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down uh, that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You hear that? So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which, this is Jesus' question now back to the, uh, to the man, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell up upon the, ro the robbers? And he said, this is, the, uh, this is the, the, the Pharisee, he said, the one who showed mercy on him. That was the only right answer. And remember, he was trying to trap him earlier. He was trying to trap Jesus with a question that only had one right answer. Jesus turned it around and gave him a story and a question that only had one right answer. And it was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to the, him, you go and do likewise. The Samaritan shows love and compassion to those who are in front of him. So that's very specific, my answer to who is your neighbor. To show love to those who are in front of you. To show love to those who are in front of you. And I will say this, if you don't think there's people in front of you, then maybe you need to change your environment uh, some to be a part of, uh, of places to experience. So who is your neighbor? Whoever God has placed in front of you. And we're going to talk and unpack that a little bit more in a few minutes. But let's talk. Uh, so when we reflect the love that was given to us from God back to others, we are living out what it means to be a good neighbor, to love our neighbor, that we have received the love of God. And then when we experience a neighbor, we give them what was given to us. We transfer the love of God onto them. Uh, every night as I pray with my kids, I always try to include some familiar things in my prayer so that my kids will learn to pray those things themselves. And one of the things that I almost every time include, I say, um, Lord, will you help us? Will you teach us to love people the way you do? Will you teach us to love people the way you do? That just takes down all the barriers, right? That's not saying, let me pick out a few people. I need to love people the way you do. This should be a gospel ethic 
that we have received love and grace, and we should become agents of that same love and grace to the world. The person asking the question is a teacher of the law. And I see two reasons why he would kind of ask this. The first is, what's the minimum to get covered? And the next is to look for the loophole, right? Look for, uh, to find how to justify himself. He wanted to find a, a neighbor in a way that he could be found as not blameworthy. If my neighbor is someone I can choose, then I'm probably going to be okay. Um, a good Samaritan is a, this story is one crossing cultural lines. Even hate involved in this. Uh, it's breaking religious norms. The priest, the Levite, uh, and the Samaritan. It sounds like the, the beginning of a great joke, right? Like uh, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into, you can fill in the rest. And, uh, but in our context, that would, we would think it would be something like a pastor, a deacon, and then maybe we would think like a church person, right? And you would say, you kind of show the contrast of how they would respond. Well, that's not even what Jesus did. So he kind of said a pastor, a deacon, and like a Louisville fan, okay? Uh, like, like it's an extreme cultural unacceptance uh, to think of, of, of bringing up a Samaritan at this, in this way. Uh, the uh, Levites would be used to help in temple worship. Obviously, the priests would, would lead that temple worship. And uh, to bring up a Samaritan uh, is to really bring up and stir up emotion. Like this is someone uh, that there were major cultural differences uh, about wh where and how to worship. And they really uh, saw, the, the Pharisees saw the, the um, Samaritans very much as unclean and even called them dogs and half-breeds. So this was a very, um, uh, you know, culturally um, sensitive, but also a high emotion uh, thing to say. There was so much that went on. Uh, Israel was broken down into three regions, the top region uh, being Galilee, the middle region being Samaria, and the bottom region being Judea, and that's where Jerusalem and the temple was. That anyone who was from Galilee traveling to, uh, down to Jerusalem, they would actually, the, the direct line was to go right through Samaria, straight down, right? And, and they would actually go all the way around the side as to not go into Samaria and then come around and come into the side. Into, it would be like us on our way to Florida intentionally driving around Tennessee. I get it. Um, and, uh, and so you would do that. You would add hours to your trip in order to do so. Uh, but that question would have been very uh, heavy to bring up a Samaritan. Uh, and, and to talk through that, and, and it would stir up significant emotion. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors and theologians, once stated, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they generally are the same people. Uh, so you see that this is brought up in a way to say there is no limit to who Jesus said is your neighbor. There is no limit to who Jesus says is your neighbor. And Jesus actually was the perfect example of this. We actually see this in John where Jesus is making this same journey. And he chooses not to go around Samaria, but to walk 
directly through. And in that story, that is where we hear the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus goes and tells the story, and this woman comes to faith. He breaks all kind of cultural norms and stereotypes. He shatters them, and he shares uh, the gospel. He shares the living water. And it's amazing how that act in and of itself modeled for us what it means to be a neighbor. Um, hear this quote from Timothy Keller in his book, Generous Justice. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we will exert ourselves. We do it for people like us or people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, or religion is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor. And you must love your neighbor. Sometimes we fall into a bit of a trap of, of, of finding it easier to love all of humanity than to love one specific neighbor. Have you ever thought about this? Like, we love the world. And we're, and we're supposed to think of the whole world as our neighbor. And, and we, that's an impossible task. And so I love uh, in, in the book, uh, um, sorry, um, <clears throat> uh, in uh, a book called um, The Art of Neighboring, Dave Runyon and Jay uh, Paddock, they talk about this, the temptation to look at everyone as our neighbor. And when we, when we take that on, sometimes that, that immobilizes us. We say, well, I can't love everyone. And so I just kind of, have a positive look on loving everyone, but I don't really actually love anyone specifically. And that is equally uh, a, a folly, right? But a challenge to you uh, to look at your neighbors very intentionally. So if you think of the homes around you, you think of the homes on the left or right across the street, do you know them by name? And if you don't, that's your homework this week. Think of the, the homes left and right, the ones across, so that would be five homes. Could you take those five homes and learn their names? And then I want to challenge you even further. What does it look like to begin praying for them? To regularly begin praying for them in hopes that you'll continue to develop a relationship. You'll start to be a, a character in their story. And you put yourself in a position to, to grow and to to work on that relationship and to be aware of needs that may come. Now listen to this. Uh, the, I think the, the big question here is how do we love our neighbors? Every Christian, Charles Spurgeon said, is either a missionary or an imposter. Woo. It takes ears, eyes, and a heart of compassion and action to learn to love your neighbor. You must see your neighbors. You got to start there. You have to see them. But they, I mean, that's not enough, right? Because the Pharisee, uh, the priest, and the Levite, they saw the, they saw the, um, the, the one who had, had been robbed, who was laying uh, on the side of the earth. They saw him. They didn't do anything. Well, no, they actually did something. They went to the other side of the road. <laughs> they, knew, they were like, oh, I see him over here. I need to make a way around so I don't have to be in this situation. But you have to see them. Uh, and, 
and we have to be able to be outside. We have to be in our front yards. We have to put down our phones while we're in the waiting room or in a line. You hear me? Have you ever gone into a waiting room? There are 20 people all looking at their phones. Put it down. Talk to the people that God puts in front of you. Like, you're there on purpose. And you have to uh, not just maybe go through the drive-thru, but go inside. Like, we have to change some of our rhythms so that we're put in front of people uh, and being able to interact with people, whoever it is that God gives you. The next is you must hear your neighbors. You must learn their stories. You must hear their needs. Next, you must have a compassionate heart. And, and I find that even sometimes our world has a compassionate heart. You know, like they, a tragedy occurs or a natural disaster occurs and they want to give some money or they want to uh, do, do something uh, that helps. You know, that's a compassionate effort. Um, but we have to take action. One of the things that I think a lot of Christians do is they say, you know, somebody really ought to do something. Like maybe my church will do something or maybe the, the denomination will do something. Somebody ought to do something. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a popular pastor. He says, what you would like to do for all, do for one. I think it's a great idea. Like what we would love for everyone to know and experience that we must see them as a neighbor and begin to do for at least one person. And hopefully that grows in us. Uh, both uh, the idea of how do we love someone, both the, the priest and the, and the Levite didn't get it. Uh, the Samaritan did. And if you go back to um, Matthew chapter 22, this challenge of how you love is pretty significant. You love basically in the same way that you love yourself. That's, that's significant. We're great at loving ourselves. We spend all of our money, all of our time, all of our uh, awareness of thinking of ourselves. Even if you don't think very highly of yourself, you're thinking about yourself all the time. And in that, uh, imagine a mirror that exists when we look to someone that we're supposed to love. How would you love that person? It's extreme. It's significant that you would love them the way that you love yourself. Um, and Jesus modeled that, that he had compassion time and time again, and he did something. Uh, one of the commercials that's been popular over the last few years, Jake from State Farm, like a good neighbor. What's, what is it? State Farm is there. Like, I actually think that's like the best line ever, right? I mean, I wish we'd say like a good neighbor, GCC is there, okay? And, and so we take that on. Uh, so we all know that and understand that. But it means that we're there not just with act, but we are there with the gospel. We are there with the good news of the gospel. So the main point, he says, uh, who showed mercy? He who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and be the neighbor that you would want someone to be. Love whoever God has in front of you. Glorify God, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I hope that from there, we as a church continue to have an identity individually and corporately of loving our neighbors. So in our mission statement, we've broken down some core values 
Uh, and under uh, each one of these mission statements, uh, we've identified several of these core values that help us direct and accomplish this goal. So how do we love our neighbors here at GCC? Each one of these could be their own sermon. We can't do that today, and so I'm really just going uh, to uh, do a quick touch on them. But the hope is that we keep them established and in front of us uh, that help lead us uh, to loving our neighbors well. Uh, the first core value under loving our neighbor is that we will love and serve a diverse community, that we will love our neighbors around us, uh, and that we will serve a diverse community of, uh, for God's common good and for human, for God's good and for human flourishing, that we want to be known uh, for serving our community. The next is for personal evangelism, that we believe that all Christians are commissioned with that great commission that you will hear uh, more about next week, but all Christians are involved in the task led by the Spirit to participate in personal evangelism. And that could be something like three circles, uh, missional living, sharing testimonies, uh, inviting someone to church, uh, but we're going to walk with people to an awareness of the brokenness of sin, the life of Jesus, the sacrifice of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and a call to repent and believe. And I want to encourage you, if you this morning have heard the story of who Jesus is and that you have not made a commitment to give your life to Jesus, to repent and believe and to trust him as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an invitation to do that now, today. That I'd love to talk with you and pray with you after service. There's a card in front of you that if you'd love to talk with a pastor about what it means to give your life with Jesus or just to spend a moment as we pray in a moment to give your life to Jesus and, and, and really to answer that question, what is the most important thing in life? That you would love God. That you would start there. That you would make that decision today. And that we're going to be involved in our city answering that same question. That we're going to uh, walk them in both need and directly with the gospel. Third is that we're going to engage and redeem culture, that we'll actively step into brokenness of our culture and use our creative abilities to engage and redeem the culture with the gospel. We're not going to be afraid of the culture. We're not going to hide out in the bunker, um, but the, we understand this as a missionary principle uh, that we want to uh, learn the language, you'll learn the culture, and then we're going to use those things uh, to reach that culture with the gospel. And lastly, family ministry. Uh, this is very intentionally a part of this loving our neighbor is that we value families. We very intentionally spend the energy and effort and resources we do with our, our children's ministry and our, and our student ministry and also uh, encouraging and coming alongside families in their own homes uh, that in that, that that is God's vessel for reaching people and loving our neighbors, that we want to make disciples who make disciples. And that is part of that process. And so we, uh, we very intentionally want to invest in those endeavors as our core values. So as I leave you this morning, as we, as we end in worship and all that we have, I pray that you will think about what is, what is the, the most important thing, that we would love God. But then very quickly, don't forget your tent. Don't forget your tent on this journey to go and, and love God, where he says the second is just like it to go and love our neighbors. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we 
Thank you so much for this, uh, this passages of scripture, these stories, uh, even the heart of, of the Pharisee who were asking these questions, that in that we learn the truth, that we understand Jesus' response to say all of scripture is summarized in these two things, that we would love you and love our neighbors. Help us to, with great compassion, be like the Samaritan who had compassion, that gave of his resources, that gave of his time, that was inconvenienced, that, that was invested in that person's life, that came back, not just a one moment, but was a good neighbor that was now connected and ongoing with this person. Give us hearts that love neighbors in that way, the way we would love ourselves. But we love because you first loved us. And that in that we understand the truth of the gospel, that you would teach us how to love people the way you do. And with that, may we go boldly with the, the good news of the gospel. So help us to be not just uh, good neighbors, but help us to be great neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ in hand. And we praise you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.